Welcome everyone to the Modern Thirst Podcast. Bill Straub and I had a great time with our first podcast, and we are definitely looking forward to doing some more of these full Modern Thirst podcasts with more of the best whiskey and brews, news and reviews. But today, this podcast is going to be a little different than our normal podcast. It's going to be an interview with a local brewer that I've come to enjoy in my area, Covington, Kentucky, called Braxton Brewing. And I had an interview and a tour of the place with Jonathan Gandalf. reason we wanted to tell this story because it does show how a home brewer can really turn their craft into a business. I sat down for this interview. We're going to send this interview or this podcast to myself, interviewing him here in a second. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope to provide further interviews like this, as well as our full Modern Thirst interviews. Hope you enjoy. Um, here you go, Matt Gates. This is Matt Gates here with the Modern Thirst, and we're here um, interviewing Jonathan Gandalf here at Braxton Brewing in Covington, Kentucky. Uh, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for visiting. I uh, just had a few questions. We had a great time touring the brewery. It's it's, it's an amazing facility. And, Thank you. Uh, I'm going to want to tell that story a little bit more on Modern Thirst, but I cool. um, had a few questions. I would like to hear more about the Braxton story. Let's dive in. Uh, I think maybe the first way to kind of start this is, I mean, people that don't know the Braxton story, um, you're, you haven't even had your one-year anniversary yet, and uh, you guys were basically brewing in a garage a year ago. Or, or how, did, how did you go from a garage to this? And Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy ride. Um, you know, the origin story of Braxton goes back to 2008 when Evan learned what brewing was at Upland when he was dropping off his older brother Jake at IU. Um, he ordered a homebrew set from the backseat of his parents' car. On the uh, way home, he started brewing in his garage. Uh, a year later, he entered Bachfest, Cincinnati's largest homebrew competition. He won Best in Show. Uh, so that was kind of the launching pad for him. And um, he went to work at Hoffer House. He worked there for three or four years. Um, and that's a great place to live for a young brewer to learn. They give you the ingredients, the um, equipment. Uh, you're more managing the operations or the process. Uh, so he's using that to learn how to brew at scale, uh, while at the same time um, he's using his uh, homebrew in his parents' garage on Braxton Drive uh, as his creative outlet. And, um, you know, he eventually he kind of saw down the road the opportunity for those two to come together. Uh, yeah, obviously, they had the, the, all the German styles at Hopper. Yeah, house, exactly. But he tried to exactly. More the ales and and that's, it's funny, you see Braxton doing more lagers now than mm-hmm. most breweries in the city, and it's part of that so. is Evan's background. But um, so he was at Hofburg for, for, for about four years, and um, then he went to NKU. He's studying there. He kind of gets this itch to start something on his own. Uh, so if you go back to his brother, who he dropped off at IU, uh, he just so happened to study entrepreneurship. Uh, and so he was working at, in Indy at the time. Uh, he started on the business plan. Um, that was all about 20, end, of, end of 2013 into 2014. Um, and then... Things got pretty serious pretty, pretty fast. Um, some investors really took a liking to the business plan. Um, and you were part of that business yeah, plan? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jake and I were roommates in Indy, colleagues working together. Um, Jake wrote the vast majority of it. We did a lot of editing, reviewing, um, improving, you know, anything we could kind of help with. It was, it was a fun side project at the time. Never, never knew we'd be here this quickly. But uh, so... They knew they wanted to be in northern Kentucky. That's where they grew up. They started looking at space. They found the space we're sitting in right now. They had this mantra of being born in a garage, Braxton Brewing Company. They walked into this building before it was Braxton, and it had a garage in it. Uh, so it's kind of meant to be. Um, Covington's been great. They accepted us with open arms. 
Um, we love Covington. It's in the midst of a renaissance. There's a lot of really cool things happening here, and we're we're happy and hopeful that we can be a catalyst for a lot of that. Um, but so that was all about the turn of the year 2014. Um, just so happened Richard Dubay, who is VP of Brewing at Moorline, uh, got to know Evan and wanted to be his mentor. He had tried hiring Evan four or five times away from Hofbrauhaus, House, uh, and Evan kind of knew he wanted to start his own thing eventually, so out of respect, he kept telling him no. Um, as the story goes, Richard got fed up one day. He kind of quits on the spot, and uh, he called he called Evan. And I don't know if I'm censored on this podcast or not, but so. apparently the uh, the conversation went something like, Evan, I don't know what the fuck you're up to, but I know you're up to something. Uh, I want to be involved. And so the timing worked perfectly. Uh, Richard joined the team as the fourth co-founder with Evan and Jake, the two brothers, um, Greg, their father, and then Richard are the four co-founders. That was all happened about the turn of the year 2014. Um, we announced this building April 7th of 2014. Um, we ran a Kickstarter campaign. It's one of the most successful brewery Kickstarter campaigns ever uh, in October. And then 51 weeks to the date of our announcing of this building, we got to open it on March 27th of 2015. So we're about nine weeks in, or nine months in. Um, sometimes it feels like nine weeks. Sometimes it feels like nine years. Uh, but here we are. It's uh, We're in the midst of planning for our one-year anniversary. Um, just it's The reception we've received uh, validates a lot of the work, a lot of the research that we did. Um, and we're really excited about the future. It really is amazing, and I, like I told you earlier, I've kind of been following you from, from afar, and I wish we would have done one of these even before you opened, because I was familiar with you guys before that. I was at your soft opening, yeah. and i kind of been a fly on the wall. Now it's like I, I kind of want to be you know, more involved in like, well, here we are. the story. We're so, happy to have so. you anytime. I uh, wanted to go back a little bit um, about the success. Um, you said that uh, the Kickstarter was pretty important, but also previously you mentioned that there was other funding uh, yeah. before that, so you were kind of set up for... Uh, yeah, you know, I think that was a big part of the success of our Kickstarter was we told people, Braxton's opening whether or not this Kickstarter is successful. Now, certainly we want it to be successful, but uh, this is your chance to be a part of it. Um, and people really, I think, appreciated that, that it wasn't a desperation um, plea for money. I think people said, oh, this is cool, I want to be a part of this. Um, we built this level is called a, anything $75 or above, you became a Braxton builder, and that gave you, you know, first access to re- releases, some special deals, special meetings, special um, treatment, basically, all mm-hmm. around. And uh, people love that. Uh, I think we've got 395 builders. I think we ended up with about 600 backers total, um, and we've got all their names downstairs on the wall. Um, it just those people, I mean, I think that is the foundation for all of this early success that we've experienced. It's so much fun interacting with them. I shared with you earlier, I think that community is one of my favorite parts of Braxton mm-hmm. and part of what I think makes us really special. Great. Do you think that you're... Uh, I think that there's a lot of breweries out there that have become uh, big for one of two reasons. Sometimes they're mutually exclusive. One, it's because they just put a lot of money marketing yeah. and that they might have a subpar product. Yeah. Or other ones, they might have a good product and just word of mouth, it, it kind of explodes. Yeah. I feel like you're probably somewhere in between those where you have both of that. I hope so, so right? So yeah. um, it's funny, when we did our research into launching Braxton, some of the breweries that maybe 
weren't as successful as we felt they should be or they weren't as successful mm-hmm. as they felt they should be. Um, it seemed like it was either brewers struggling to run a business mm-hmm. or business guys trying to capitalize on an opportunity and struggling to brew. Mm-hmm. So we built our team from the very get-go very intentionally. We launched with, we had three brewers and three people running the business. Um, the brewers are allowed to focus on the beer, and that's their specialty. That's what they're experts at. Um, the business team, we're allowed to focus on the business. That's what we're experts at. The specialists get to specialize. Um, and that, again, has been, I think, we honestly probably opened with more people, invested more in people than most small breweries are. Um, but now, because we opened that way, we're probably shorter on people than what I think most breweries growing at the rate we are. Um, you're starting to see us hire a little bit more, but uh, because we've had that in place from the very get-go, we get to focus on the marketing, like you said, and focus on the product instead of trying to split our attention in both places. Yeah, I think you've done a good job with that. Thank uh, you. That actually leads into uh, kind of my next two questions. One, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Cincinnati brew scene, uh, but we have people that listen across the country here, so I don't want to um, like just limit it to that. Yeah, so sure. then I'd like you just to, you could expand a little bit more on um, the craft beer boom. Yeah. Where do you think it's going? Do you think there's room for a lot more breweries? Do you think that there's going to be a lot of failures? Uh, kind of, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so Cincinnati is great. You know, this historic city, it was the St. Louis or the Milwaukee before there was a St. Louis or Milwaukee, and then Prohibition happened. Um, right here in our own backyard, Bavarian Brewery. Um, huge building, you can still see it from the interstate. Very hotly contested property right now uh, that's unfortunately empty, but um, just so much history in this region. And I think it took a little while for that um, industry to get back on its feet, but man, it's back in full force. And it's cool because you see places um, like ourselves getting to play in the backyard of these historic buildings, or, you know, Ryan Geist goes into Moorline's old bottling. Some of the infrastructure is almost pre built to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Now, not not to say it's, it, it's any easier in Cincinnati than it is anywhere, but there's this underlying passion for beer and love for beer that's, I think, unique to this city. So it's been Absolutely. really cool. Um, we're on the Kentucky side of the river, which is a little bit unique as mm-hmm. far as Cincinnati's concerned. Um, Kentucky's lagged a lot in the craft beer boom, several reasons for that. There's dry counties. Mm-hmm. The legislature cares a lot more about liquor than beer, bourbon, you yeah. could argue, yes. which is fair. Um, and then bourbon, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bourbon state. Uh, but you're starting to see those worlds collide a little bit and mm-hmm. see craft beer grow really big in Kentucky, which really excites us because um, there's so much opportunity in Kentucky. Um, on a larger scale, you know, everybody says, is this a bubble? Um, I don't think so. If you look at a lot of the historical data, um, there were there are as many breweries now as there were pre-prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost a renaissance as much sure. as it is, you know, this anything new. I think um, what you're going to see, this is all speculation, maybe sure. maybe not sponsored so by Braxton Brewing yeah. Company. Uh, <laughs> uh, personally, I, I think you're going to see a lot more of the nano breweries who focus on their neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is really cool. They can do really fun things, um, kind of become this... Uh, resource for their community, which is cool. And then I I think on a larger national scale, you're going to continue to see um, breweries acquired. I just think that's Mm -hmm. inevitable. I would expect Miller Coors to catch up to AB InBev a little bit once the um, (laughs) huge acquisition kind of gets all sorted out. Price could be the next frontier um, as some of these uh, larger conglomerates have 
you know, the distribution power. Um, and then I think access to raw materials is going to be really, really important because you're seeing it now. Uh, can, who's or Crown, who's one of the major can manufacturers, okay. they've stopped taking craft beer orders. Just, wow. There's people trying to give them so, money, yeah. and they're <laughs> saying <laughs> we're good. Wow. Like, uh, so it's you're going to see things like hops. There was a hop shortage, shortage yeah. two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's gotten a little bit better, but even grain, cans, mm-hmm. equipment. Um, I think when it comes to the shortages, there's. Those problems generally fix themselves. Exactly. The exactly. So it's going to be a combination of there's going to be shortages. People are going to recognize that and turn them into opportunities. But it's making sure that quality and quality is the huge thing for craft beer. If somebody has a bad craft beer experience, it can turn them off to the entire sure. product world. So um, as long as good breweries, good people keep making good beer, I think it's going to be a good time for everybody. I actually had a discussion with... Um, Patrick, the brewer over at Listerman, yeah. probably about a year and a half ago, we had a similar uh, conversation, and I, I, I found this interesting. He said he thinks I think there were 15 breweries in the area at that point. Yeah. He said, I think there's room for twice as many. Yeah. I was like, I was really surprised to hear that, but he kind of went on to say, and I agree with this, that people are drinking more local. Like, yeah. Sure, there's like some beer geeks that want to try, kind of like myself, try as many beers as possible yeah. from around the world, around the country. But I, w- I will say, sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you, the one challenge that I'm starting to see is that craft beer popularity is growing, craft beer breweries are growing. The one thing that's maybe not growing as proportionally as those other things is available tap handles. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be tricky. There's either AB and Bev, Miller Coors are going to keep losing tan- handles, which I think is going to mm-hmm. happen. Um, and I think people are going to keep adding handles. But that's the one thing... If you go into any restaurant, they're just rot- they're telling sure, you, yeah. they're telling every account that comes in, yeah, we'll take your beer, and they put it in the basement, and they just rotate through everything. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to be consistently in one place, but and it can be frustrating just about choice that yep, you have sometimes. Exactly. So that's the one maybe big challenge that still hasn't quite been solved. And I think maybe growlers are kind of that's kind of solving this a little bit. I mean, I think there's more people just like they used to do on 50 years ago where they would go. Go to you know get a beautiful like yeah. um, my my dad told stories. I think he was underage. You'd go and bring home a, you know, a jug of beautiful um, backs yeah. for his dad and things like that. So I think a little bit that that could certainly come back as well. Uh, do, you, do you see some breweries failing though because of uh, quality? I I hope not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a rising tide raises all boats. Um, I don't want any brewery to do damage to the industry as a whole. Um, so, you know, if they're if they're making really poor quality beer, um, I would hope they could take some time to learn from their colleagues in the industry and that it can be fixed rather than them going out of business. Uh, I, you know, but I do think quality is the key. Uh, it can make or break a brewery. Um, cleanliness, you know, these beers can go bad with one wrong bacteria in them. So it's, um, I think education, quality, consistency can make or break a brewery. And I, I hope it doesn't break any breweries. Um, but at the same time, if there's somebody um, making poor quality beer, I would hope others offer to help instead of watching them kind of go up in flames. Cool. I do, I do like the community between brewers. Yeah. I mean, actually, that was another question I had here even. Uh, collaborations like do you have any collaboration planned and if so how do you choose who you would do it with yeah collaboration sounds so easy in theory um, it's really hard to plan because right now all these breweries we're running at capacity the entire time so That's you've right. got 
you've got to find the time when both of you have time to brew together, both of you have capacity to brew together. Then you've got to do all the planning for it, all the label approval, all the distribution mm-hmm. for it. Um, there's a, it's a logistical challenge to do collaborations and do them well. Now, there's a lot of breweries doing it. We certainly want to do it. Um, we're trying to keep up with demand right here, right now. And once we, um, you know, are maybe a little further into it and have our feet underneath us and aren't just growing like crazy, mm-hmm. it'll be a good time to sit and talk with some of the people we respect most and say, we'd love to do a collaboration. Uh, we've had a couple small conversations about it, like, hey, in the future, we'd love to do something. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody's been super receptive so far. So certainly in our future, I don't think it's um, anything immediate is going to be happening um what about just other other new releases i saw those um beautiful um bourbon barrels down there and some other barrels uh what do you plan on putting those how you how will you release them good question um so we did our first bottle release in december uh we called it our uh, the braxton block party uh we released dark charge was the beer it's a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout and we did one with coffee and one with vanilla we sold out in two hours it was a lot of fun um so we're going to take that kind of um, momentum and try to build on it. Uh, you'll see us do more bottles in 2016. You're looking at probably six or seven releases. Uh, we're about to launch our second can, Crankshaft, our IPA. Very exciting. Um, yeah, we're really excited about it. We're also going to launch Storm and Crankshaft on the Ohio side of the river for cool. the first time in cans. Um, and then Crankshaft will also become available on the Kentucky side of the river. So um, second can, maybe a third can in 2016. Um more varieties of beer, more distribution. Um, 2016 is really going to be a year of growth for us, um, but hopefully doing it in the right way. We don't want to just start bottling beers for the sake of bottling beers. Um, we're going to take beers that take a lot of thought and time and put them in the right format and put them in the right hands, hopefully. It's a lot of fun. I think you're making some great beers. I, we're running a little longer than I thought we would. That's all right. So I'd, I think we could do a whole other podcast where we talk about <laughs> specific beers. Sure. Uh, so I, I guess I won't go into that too much. Uh, I guess this is not not the best topic, but it was kind of brought up earlier about uh, kind of the big guys, uh, the Inbev um, and so yeah. forth. Like, do you see um, them to continuing putting pressure um, for shelf space and in, in grocery stores and other distribution? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Or, or, I, I wish I knew the answer. Um, they're certainly going to try to do that, right? They're trying to run a business right, yeah. and make it as profitable as possible too, right? Um, at the same time, I, I think there's a lot of checks and balances put in place to keep that from happening. You're starting to see them try to find ways around that. There was some legislature in Kentucky with a three-tier system right, right, yeah. that just kind of reorganized some things. So I'd hope and like to think that the store owners, the distributors, um, the government would keep that from happening in a malicious way, mm-hmm. um, but that's also part of why you see them acquiring brands so they can own all yeah. that shelf space. And yeah, that might be the way they. Kind of yeah, it. and you know, part of that is that's that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. They're they're not going to concede right. because craft beer is cool. Sure. I I just right before this, I was watching a, a Budweiser Super Bowl commercial where they kind of take a backhand <laughs> mm-hmm. shot of craft beer, yeah. but um, it's a. It seems like it worked okay with um, Goose Island. Yeah, certainly. I I think prior to that, it was big and scary. I think people have seen with Goose Island, it's possible. There were some things that they did that were maybe questionable with Goose Island, but on the whole, um, it's been pretty good. And they've got so many brands under their umbrella now that it's crazy. And you hear rumors every day of new ones. So um, it'll be interesting to see. 
I think the logistics of it make a lot of sense. I think the brand experience of it is where they might lose a little bit, but we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, one reason I asked that question was did you hear that news about um, Kroger and how they're going to use a yep. distributor and so forth, and that, that seemed a little scary because I, the way I even got to that was I was I think it's awesome that you guys in a quick fashion got into Kroger yep. and a national chain and yep. um, being able to be on their shelves. So that's yeah, impressive. Yeah, and it's, you know, we're in a position where we, we work with the distributor and a lot of we learn from them, right? So as they learn information, they share it with us, and we have conversations about it, but we ultimately let them kind of own that because that's, that's ultimately who their customer is. Right. Uh, our customer is our distributor. Yeah, so you just basically have to get in good with a good distributor. Exactly, and exactly. Go, so. and, and we're lucky. We work with Sagnaro Distributing. They've mm-hmm. got great relationships with all the major retailers. So we're in a good place with them, and we keep an eye on it and try to learn from it as much as we can, but... Um, we've got really good partnerships that we're really excited about in, in the future. Do you have them to thank for being able to enjoy a beer at a Reds game at Great American Ballpark? Also? Partially. So we, we are huge Reds yes. fans. And um, we just kind of were like, when we were first meeting with distributors, we, sat, we said we won't be in Great American Ballpark. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it was kind of a special pet project of ours. We're like, you know, there's a lot of strategy that goes into this, but we want to be in Great American Ballpark. And they said, well, let's kind of make a call and see what happens. Um, it's funny, our very first batch of beer, so we opened March 27th, opening day was the following week, Yeah. but the Reds need their first shipment of beer prior to that. Our very first batch of beer was Sparky, and it got sent to Great American Ballpark. Wow, that's um, amazing. Yeah, so, and it was opening day, surreal experience, so, yeah. going, never been happier to pay $13 for oh, 16 sure. ounces of beer. Um, but uh, it was absolutely surreal experience, and uh, we love we love having Sparky over there. I think a lot of people get a kick out of the name of the beer, yeah, exactly, Sparky yeah. Anderson. It also fits our garage theme. So, uh, yeah, we love drinking Sparky at Reds games. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, I was going to ask this, but I'll just kind of throw this in here. Um, you already showed me that you're expanding here. I'm adding new tanks. How, how big are the new fermenters coming in? So we've got our largest fermenters right now. Are, we've got two 80-barrel fermenters. Um, we've ordered two 120-barrel fermenters along with a 120-barrel bright tank. Um, so it's going to take our annual capacity from, um, in theoretical annual capacity from about 7,500 barrels to, I think, fifteen or 16,000. We won't do that this year, but, um, again, it allows us to grow at the rate that we are growing at right now, which That's is a little awesome. mind-boggling. Which has exceeded your expectations even, right? Oh, so, yeah. tenfold. So, it's, been, it's been wild. Um, we thought it might go well, but it's far exceeded what we were expecting. It's an awesome story. And like uh, you kind of even said earlier that there might even be you might have to have another location at some point, but this is still going to be the home. Yeah, this is right? home, and we'd never do, we'd never leave Covington. We, we need warehouse space mm-hmm. for cans, for barrels, for equipment, um, for uh, vehicles, all sorts of things. So we, we are, we're in the process of looking at warehousing space. Um, it's, it's not an urgent, crazy need right now, but we want to be prepared so it doesn't become a problem. So, um, We've been out looking around Covington a little bit, and we've got a couple leads, so we feel comfortable with it. And um, we've still got a while before we have to have any super serious conversations about, okay, where else do, can we produce beer? Um, right now, we get to grow in our own footstep, which is fun. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. I think we can start wrapping up things here. Uh, I really like your perspective on just kind of the um, industry as a whole, and we're talking beer. Like I said, I'd love to talk more specific about your beers, but I think that since we do have. Uh, a little bit more of an audience around the country, yeah. I think they'll all find this useful. And I think 
everyone out there, you, if you're in the area, you should definitely check this brewery out. Thank you. It, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you had anything else to add, but I think we'll... No, thanks for coming in. Um, if anybody ever wants to come in, they can reach out to us and let us know. We're happy to give um, friends and visitors tours. So uh, thanks for coming in, and cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks again, Jonathan and Matt. I had a great time at Braxton. They, they really were gracious hosts. I especially enjoyed the beer tastings that I had after the interview. Now, um, please send us some tweets at modern underscore thirst. We'd love to hear more of your thoughts, and we certainly look forward to bringing you our next podcast. But in the meantime, definitely check out all the great content and reviews at modernthirst.com. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, have a great day, and cheers. Cheers.